What's going on, everyone? Thanks for joining me again. And before we get started in this reformatted version of the Musketeer Report podcast, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a summary of what I've been up to since you last heard Dan and I sign off on the Dan and Victory podcast feed and what you can expect going forward. So after Dan and I published that last podcast, I, I heard from a handful of people who you know wanted to know what was next and what I might be thinking about and seeing if there was any way we could figure something out. Ultimately, I had one person in mind that I wanted to talk to first, and I called Paul Fritschner, and he agreed on the spot to do it. Our first conversation went really well. We talked about future ideas and different ways we could experiment with the podcast. So I think he's going to bring a, a different, younger perspective and a lot of good, fresh ideas to the, the show. Already, he's uh, making me feel old. So that's definitely a new thing for me after being with some old farts like Dan and Snow. But the decision to uh, ask Paul to do this was an easy one because of his previous experience, both while he was a student and since he's graduated, helping Tom Iser out in the sports information department at Xavier Games. He's He's been live in the CentOS Center for every game for the most part for the last several years. Uh, he's done on-camera work. He's got great talent as a broadcaster. He's done play-by-play -play for CovCath basketball and football, and he's also now doing minor league baseball in the Orioles organization. So certainly a, a lot of talent there and great knowledge and experience within the Xavier program. He's also super reliable, hardworking, trustworthy, all of those things. So I'm really excited to get started working with him. And in terms of what you can expect from this channel or feed going forward, basically right now, this is a catch-all spot for everything I plan on recording here. And most of that is going to be Paul and me. Some of it will just be me doing my own thing with interviews potentially, or maybe even some Q&A stuff with you guys. Uh, but it's all going to live right here on this feed. I'm not going to try to split it up or do different channels or anything like that. But I do anticipate that we will experiment with some different formats going forward. We wanted to get this first podcast out with some news happening over the last few weeks and the fact that it's just been a little while. We wanted to get together, try it out, see how it goes. And also, we got a nice interview with head coach Travis Steele here on the back half of the podcast. So make sure you stay tuned to listen to that that's really it. I just wanted to give you guys a brief intro here, let you know what's coming. Uh, I'm going to be reaching out to you guys for your preferences and what you might want to want to hear down the line, especially when we get closer to the season. But for now, I hope you enjoy this first edition of the reformatted Musketeer Report podcast. Welcome in, everyone, to the first edition of the brand new Musketeer Report podcast. I'm your host, Paul Fritschner, and I am with Rick Broering. Now, I'm a new voice here. You're used to hearing welcome inside the Dana and Victory podcast, and it's Rick still with us. And Rick, we're ready to get things rolling here. How you doing? I'm doing well, Paul. As I just told everybody before we kicked this podcast off and my little intro there, I'm really excited to get this underway with you. Uh, I had some people reach out to me about doing it, but you were the only person that I called and said, hey, like, are you interested? You jumped at the opportunity, fortunately. So uh, I'm fortunate in that regard that this transition was smoother than it probably otherwise would have been. Dan and, and Snow were obviously awesome to do the podcast with for years, but uh, I'm kind of looking forward. And, and the one thing I will point out that 
as people are already hearing, it's a major upgrade in sound quality. Like no offense <laughs> to Dan or Snow, but they don't have that voice. So uh, people at least enjoy the acoustics of this podcast a little bit better. Well, as far as actual content quality goes, I hope that I uh, am up to par there as well. But at <laughs> well, least we might need to get you a, like an ailing cat or something then. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump right into it, Rick. So uh, the biggest news probably on everybody's mind right now, Xavier picks up a recruit last week, transfer from Indiana, Jerome Hunter. I think it caught everybody a little bit off guard, including both you and I. Uh, we saw Travis Steele tweet out, you said GIF, I said GIF. He tweeted out the animated X, and all of a sudden, uh, Xavier has a new addition to this roster. And what do you know of Jerome? I've watched him play a little bit uh, in his time at Indiana. I watched your breakdown of him the other day. Uh, but what do you know of Jerome? What kind of role do you think he fits on this team? And, and where do you see him on this Xavier team going forward? Uh, first of all, that may be the first poll that we have to do from this podcast is GIF or JIF. What do the people prefer? <laughs> well, we're a podcast of the people, so we'll let them decide what we're going to use going forward. I'm a GIF guy. You're a JIF guy. We'll, we'll settle it somehow. But with Jerome Hunter, I think the best way to look at it is this. C.J. Wilcher was a guy that they didn't want to lose in the transfer portal. And if you look at what C.J. Wilcher's role would have been for this year's team, he was likely going to be a shooter off the bench, and likely reserve at that forward spot. Enter Jerome Hunter, that's pretty much what you're getting. Now, he's not undersized like C.J. Wilcher was. He's a legit 6'7". He's got some length. He's got pretty good bounce around the rim. So there's a little bit more uh, physical tools for the front court than C.J. Wilcher had. He, he actually will post up a little bit on the offensive end as well and, and exploit smaller matchups. But in terms of his essential role on this team, He's bringing what C.J. Wilcher would have been asked to bring, which is some perimeter firepower off the bench, a guy that is willing to take and will hit some big shots. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me when I was watching Jerome Hunter's film is that uh, synergy tracks possessions used late in the shot clock, which are they, they define as less than four seconds on either the shot clock or the game clock. And he had over 10% of his possessions used were in such situations, which is kind of a high number, especially for a guy who's a forward off the bench. And in those possessions, he actually shot a better percentage. He shot 40% in those end of clock possessions, as opposed to what he typically shoots was, which was like, you know, around 35, 34% um, on regular possessions. So I do think he has a little bit of that it factor that he kind of has uh, irrational confidence. He wants the big shot. He wants the ball in the big moment. So those are kind of things that really stuck out to me when watching him. So when you compare him to a guy like CJ Wilcher, do you find him as an upgrade to CJ? Do you think it's kind of a lateral move? Um, but when you're talking about replacing him almost like one for one, where, where do you see him there in comparison to CJ? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, there's two ways to look at it. The first is what does it mean for this year's team? And that's the most important, especially if you're Travis Steele right now, because you haven't made the tournament for three years or first three years of, of running the show. You know, you got a good roster right now and people, there's some pressure. People really expect good things out of this team. So from this year's perspective, I think they play a very similar role. I think CJ Wilcher would have been asked to come off the bench make some shots, give you some perimeter firepower. I don't think he was going to enter that next phase of his career where he became more of a playmaker and a significant piece and potentially a starter. Now, 
the real question comes down to after this season, what are you going to be better off having potentially four more years of CJ Wilcher because last year didn't count against his, you know, because of the pandemic year, he would add four more years of eligibility left or three more years of Jerome Hunter, which quite honestly, he's already been in a high major program for three years because he redshirted for a season. Now he's getting last year back, which was his redshirt sophomore year. So he's been in a program for three years and you get three more years out of him. And by the way, He's not going to be likely to transfer unless you want him to, because he's probably going to need a waiver at that point. It's going to be more of a process since he's already done it. So I don't have a great answer for you at this point. It remains to be seen. I would have preferred to have CJ Wiltshire, I think long-term because he has a really high IQ. um, And I think he had a really good chemistry with the guys in the locker room. So I think I would have kept him because he was already there. But if you had, if he was leaving anyway, which he was, it wasn't your choice. If you're looking for replacement, I think you could do a lot worse than Jerome Hunter. He fits a, a very similar need and role. So we're going to get more into the roster here in a second. But when you look at it and you look at a guy like Jerome coming in, but also you look at a guy like CJ leaving and the roster and how it's starting to take shape right now. Do you feel like because of the pressure that's on the coaching staff right now to make the tournament next year after the results of their first three years, which aren't necessarily bad, there have been a lot of other factors in play. It's just been that they've caught some tough breaks and things haven't broken their way. But at the same time, they haven't made the tournament. And I think there is definitely some expectation, a lot of expectation on it next year that they're going to have to make the tournament with this roster that they have such an experienced roster but do you think that kind of putting all their chips into the middle of the table um, is something that's going to pay off even if it's just this one year or when you say like I would have rather had a guy like CJ over the long term that trying to go for it this year and get a guy you know a couple of guys out of the transfer portal that are going you know get Nunji too um, when you're kind of gunning for it this year like, how, how do you look at that, Rick, when it's, hey, we got to perform this year, but at the same time, we also want to continue building the program too. Yeah, I think that's a, a balance that you've got to strike. But the thing about it that's changing rapidly is the dynamic of how you strategize and build a roster in college basketball in general, now with the transfer portal being what it is. And a lot of what I've heard this offseason from coaches is the guys that you're really going to be looking for are the guys that have already transferred once. Because again, you get that one-time free transfer, but then after that, you're going to need a waiver. You're going to have to likely sit out a year at that point. It's Guys are likely to transfer once going forward, but there's not going to be as many second and third transfers unless it's a grad transfer type deal. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, the guys that they're really targeting now are those transfers that still have multiple years of eligibility left. If you can get a guy that has three years of eligibility like Jerome Hunter and isn't likely to transfer, you get old and stay old as they say. And so I think it's going to be a strategic thing. It's going to be a feeling out process. You're going to see different coaches handle it differently. Right now, it seems that Travis Steele is is opting a little bit more towards the the transfer route and banking on those guys that he can lock in, so to speak, for a few more years and guys with some experience. But that also could be influenced by the fact that he is a roster ready to win now. And there is a little bit more incentive and pressure for him to win right now this season as opposed to taking a more long-term 
look at it. And don't get me wrong. I mean, they're still stacking plenty of talent and recruiting well. They've got a good young core in place. So it's not at all like they don't have eyes on the future, but it's certainly something that I think we can see evolving down the road. So let's get into the rest of the roster now, Rick, a little bit. And this roster is extremely experienced. You got a lot of guys coming back. We talk about it a little bit with Travis Steele, but all of this experience, and I think they're what the third most experienced team in the country coming back or third most returning minutes, something along those lines. And you got a guy like Paul Scruggs coming back. You got Nate Johnson, which maybe caught a few people off guard that he was coming back, but a lot of really talented players that have been in this system for a while. So let's just start at the top, uh, Paul Scruggs, and he is going to be back for another year with Xavier. Obviously, he is going to put up some ridiculous numbers for the course of his career, given that he's got that extra year and he's played so much already at this point. I think the big thing, and we talked about this with Coach Steele, is that there is a certain level of buy-in and chemistry and just things have to be going right to get a guy that's Paul Scruggs or Nate Johnson's age to say, yeah, I want to come back and I want to do another year of college practices and waking up early and running and going to classes and not getting paid for any of it. Uh, Especially when you're a guy like Paul who, you know, let's face it, he may or may not have a shot in the NBA. It's probably going to have to be as like a free agent tryout or a guy who makes a summer league team, but He can certainly go overseas and make six figures. Uh, He could play in the G League, potentially earn one of those two-way deals and make a nice living. So there's plenty of opportunity for Paul Scruggs to go get his professional career started, and he has opted to stay at Xavier. So I think that says a lot about, one, how trusting he is of this coaching staff and how much buy-in he has to this team, this locker room. And also, I think something that's maybe not talked about enough about when it comes to Paul Scruggs is his relationship with the Xavier fan base. I mean, I know there's a couple little kids that are constantly sending him videos wearing his (laughs) jerseys and wishing him happy birthday and, and giving him recaps after games and stuff. And like, you know, it's cute for social media, but it's like, we've got like multiple kids to do that with Paul. You see him after games, he's signing autographs. He's taking pictures with people. He's holding kids. I mean, obviously pre pandemic times, who knows what that'll look like now, but I do think there is a special relationship between Paul Scruggs and the Xavier fan base. And I think that matters to him. He, he wants to go out playing in front of the fan base and having Centos rocking one more time. So how loud do you think the standing ovation is going to be for Nate Johnson when he gets back to play in a sold out? I'm assuming it's going to be sold out probably by November. I'm assuming think, they're going to probably play in a full crowd. That seems to be the way things are going. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we're doing that at, you know, MSG and all these other places right now in May, I'm assuming by November that we'll have 10,000 fans in Cintas. My rule is if New York city allows it, Ohio will. So yes. Well, yeah, MSG (laughs) is, and then Yankee stadium still, you know, so who knows what's going on by, by November, but uh, assuming that Cintas is filled with 10,000 people in uh, the first week of November, Nate Johnson probably is going to get one heck of an ovation for the performances that he put up last year before he got hurt, which was a huge blow to Xavier's tournament chances and and how they performed down the stretch. But he had a monster year. He could fill it up uh, shooting the basketball, which is something Xavier really needed. And like I said, I think it caught a lot of people off guard that he was coming back because there was some talk about it. There were some rumors about it. I don't think anybody was 100% sold that he was going to leave. But at the same time, it was 
sort of assumed that he was only going to be here one year. And then all of a sudden he's saying, okay, let's, let's, let's do this again. Let's run it back. And he's going to be able to play in front of a Xavier crowd that should really appreciate what he did last year. Yeah. I, I think both of those guys are the ovation initially is going to be off the charts, but think about senior day next year especially for Paul, who's been here now for five years. And like I said, has a special connection. I mean, that senior day, him opting to come back, he's going to get the ovation that he deserves. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Sintas always shows out well for the seniors. And he was he was such an important recruit at the time because of his his prestige, I guess, on, on the um, AAU circuit. And he was well-known by the time he was like a seventh or eighth grader as a, a talent and a prospect. So that was really a big recruitment. He's been a great player. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be huge. The, the the reception from the fan base is going to be massive. Yeah, but but even more so on the court than the fans, the on-the-court product of Nate Johnson coming back is going to be, if he can perform at the same level that he did last year, would be huge for this team coming up from an offensive standpoint. And, uh, you know, he held his own defensively, too. It wasn't like he was just a one-way player. But, uh, you know, on the offensive end, Nate Johnson's ability to shoot the basketball, if he can replicate that performance last year, is going to be something. There's no doubt Nate can shoot. My question is, he started off so hot last year and, and shot so well for the entire year, basically. You're probably not going to get that performance again, which is fine. Yeah. But what happens if he's struggling a little bit early? Because you have so many options this year and you have other guys. I'm wondering, like, how how long can they stick with Nate and how many minutes will they be giving him if he's not shooting the ball well early? You know, there's going to be an interesting balance to how Steele works this roster, especially with having 13 talented guys on scholarship. And, you know, maybe Elijah Tucker will redshirt or what have you, and you'll have a little bit more wiggle room there. But even on that perimeter, pretty much all those guys you expect to play some type of role and a reasonable amount of minutes. So it's like, how exactly do you play that if a guy like Nate Johnson gets into a shooting slump or isn't hitting early? What does his role become on this team and how do you make sure you keep him involved and, and give him chances? So I, I am really curious to see that about him because he was so hot last year that you could kind of see him coming off an injury, maybe having a little regression. Yeah. And, and then another guy coming back is Kiki Tandy. And and Tandy, I think, struggled. And I, I think you would probably agree with this. He, he struggled a little bit just with the system right like he, he just kind of seemed like he was a little lost at points especially defensively like he just wasn't always in the system but when he was shooting well I mean you saw earlier in the season especially he was scoring a lot and I don't think anybody ever has doubted his ability to score I think it's really now just his ability to buy into the system and lock in on both ends of the court so you know what are you looking for out of him and, and what do you think that he's going to be able to to give to this team yeah, I think one thing that people sometimes don't realize when it comes to um, Kiki especially and guys like him is that it's not that he's not trying. It's that he playing hard is a skill to a certain extent, you know, and he didn't understand that he wasn't playing hard. He had to learn how to play harder. And I think he did that last year. I think that midway through the year, he got to a point where he was trying to give more effort and he was trying to play hard on defense. The problem is the other issue is like you said, he's got to learn the system better. I don't know if it's for a lack of trying, but he is out of position in the wrong spots too much. 
And we know that's not how it's taught. We see other guys in the right position, reading things the right way. He's got to figure that out. So he's not a liability on defense. And then offensively, I think he's got to fit in a little bit better too. Granted, his role is to come off the bench and be a microwave and get quick points, but it can't be at the expense of killing the entire offense with bad shots, turnovers, and tunnel vision. He's got to be able to move the ball and play within the offense for a few possessions without taking everybody out of the flow entirely. So I would say the expectations for Kiki should be very minimal because quite honestly, it was a situation where he was going to transfer and the staff was totally fine with that. And I don't think there was quite the interest that he thought there might be out there in the transfer portal market for him. And things are much, things were much better between the staff and the team and Kiki than anyone realized last year, but he decided to come back. And so I, I can't imagine that the staff would have given him any inklings of promises or given him hope for big expectations this year. It's going to be completely on him to earn his way back from kind of the bottom of the depth chart to get into the rotation and find some minutes. And we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but I wouldn't have big expectations for him playing a role. I would have some hope though, that he might be able to figure it out and, and become a legitimate scorer because heading into last year, I would have told you he would have been Xavier's second or third leading scorer on the team before the season started. So I've completely changed my opinion, obviously of what my expectations are for him, but I, I recognize that there's still some upside with, without a doubt. So you'll hear Travis Steele talk a little bit about how they're changing Dwan Odom's shot. And I think that that's something that a lot of people probably recognize and see that it was always kind of funny when the first time you you would see Dewan shooter, you know somebody hadn't watched a Xavier game and you'd see a tweet or you'd get a text or something and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, what? What? Yeah. Whoa, what? <laughs> but sounds like they're changing his shot and they're doing it from the ground up. So looking at a guy like him who really outside of his shot played very, very well last year. And I think there's a lot of expectation on him going forward into next season. Have you heard anything about him and his development outside of the shot or, or what are you looking for out of him? Well, I think the, the thing I'm most curious about is for Paul Scruggs to be coming back. I imagine Xavier at least had a conversation with Dwan Odom about, it. in fact, I know they had a conversation with Dwan Odom about it and they got his blessing and there's buy in there. And he wanted Paul back because he wanted to have a good team and a chance to make a run. But you also have to imagine that makes his role a lot more dicey in terms of like, is he going to be a starter? I don't know the answer to that because if I'm trying to put out the best lineup possible, I'm thinking probably Paul Scruggs, Nate Johnson, Colby Jones, and then Zach and Jack. So, you know, where does that leave him exactly? I'm sure he planned on starting coming into a sophomore year. Now he's going to play tons of minutes. I'm not at all acting like Dwan Odom's not going to be a huge part of this team, but there's got to be some unselfishness there on his part to be willing to accept Paul Scruggs back on this team and, and be okay with that and understand his role. But then also it's how does he fit in with different lineups? Because how often do you want to play him and Colby Jones on the court together, given that those aren't exactly your shooters and you have a team full of guys who can shoot. So there's going to be a lot of, I think that's my biggest thing about Dwan is I know he's talented. He's capable. He's going to be able to make plays for you off the bounce. We'll see what happens with this shot. (laughs) Obviously I'm skeptical there, (laughs) Um, but is how do you figure out his role and how are, are you able to ensure that he makes the jump that you need and expect him to make here as a sophomore, because the next year you're turning over the keys to the program to him. He's going to be the guy. So you need to make sure he makes that jump, that sophomore jump that star players do 
while also potentially being a backup point guard and not playing a, a full 30 plus minutes a game. I think that's kind of the biggest thing I'm focused on there is how do they balance his minutes, his role, his fit with the other guys that are coming back. Rick, I got to ask, what's your dog's name behind Emma. you? Emma girl. Emma. Well, yep. okay. So Emma looks very disappointed right now that she's being left out of this conversation. <laughs> she's eyes are just peering into the back of your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's ready to go outside for sure. But I mean, she's pretty good. She just sits there and listens to the podcast. She already heard the skinny podcast this morning. So she's on like her fourth hour of podcasting right now. If you include edits. Wow. She's grinding. She's <laughs> yeah. She, she's good grinding for her. Out. Yeah. She's a good office dog. <laughs> studio dog. For sure. Um, so to wrap up this lineup here, a couple more guys we should probably talk about. Colby Jones, uh, Zach Fremantle, both guys that I think are going to be expected to contribute a lot. And the one thing about Zach was you would look at Zach's box scores last year, or you would, you would watch the games, right? And you would think to yourself, like, man, I feel like Zach, I feel like he could have given Xavier more there in that game. And then all of a sudden you look down at the box score and you'd be like, well, he did score 26 points and he had 12 rebounds and like, well, I, I guess he had a pretty good night, but it, you know, it kind of felt like he, he would miss some, you know, hooks right around the rim. He'd miss some bunnies right in the middle of the paint. And you were kind of thinking to yourself, okay, there is a lot of room for growth here going in to his you now third season. But if he can clean some of that up, he could be a real, problem in, in the Big East if, as if he wasn't that already. I mean, he's look at the talent he's brought to the table in his first two years, and it's only up from here. Yeah, it's, he's already an all-conference player, and it's like most Xavier yeah. fans are complaining about their sophomore all-conference player. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I get where you're coming from because you're not wrong about watching the game, seeing some empty production in there, seeing a guy who maybe left some plays out on the floor or didn't make some plays defensively that you wish he could, and then looking at the box score and going, I mean, 26 and 12 is 26 and 12. And I think that that's the right way to look at it is he was not the problem last season, obviously, you know, you're putting up yeah, those yeah. types of numbers, you're all conference, any team in the big East would take Zach Fremantle. There's no doubt about that, but there are some shortcomings that he had last year and some things that he can definitely improve on, which is a great thing. It means he still has a lot of upside when there's that much noticeable going wrong and he's putting up impressive double doubles. Um, I think the two biggest things for me are one, he has to learn to be able to play defense and stay in plays and rebound while also not being in foul trouble constantly. And I think there was a combination of one, he just gave up on some plays and doesn't play tough enough or strong enough on defense in general. And two, he was concerned about being taken out of the game for foul trouble. And so he was conserving a lot of his energy and activity for the offensive end he can't do that anymore like they if they're going to be a great team and he's going to be a great player he's got to do it on both ends of the court and, and at least have a certain level of fight on the defensive end and then the other thing is what you alluded to there there are too many times where he's around the basket and just doesn't look comfortable enough he's getting bumped off his spot he's not quite able to finish bunnies or or midline hooks where he's really close and, and maybe that's a physicality thing where he's got to get bigger and stronger still uh, maybe it's just working more on those inside skills this offseason where the last few years he's probably really developed his outside shot more but I think those are the two things that really stood out to me most about him what do you think of his his shot taking do you think he'll he'll take the same amount of shots I mean there were there were stretches where he would take a lot of three and it wasn't like they were totally contested all the time you know he's he's left open outside he's going to take the shot and he could hit but at the same time I think there were times where it was like you know is that the shot that they really want on the possession do you think he's 
looking to change his his mentality there with that or, or where do you see that well I, I think hopefully if you improve the inside game a little bit more like we were talking about those those shots yeah. that he just wasn't able to finish if he gets more comfortable more confident stronger tougher around the basket I think naturally when you do something well and you have confidence in it you're more apt to attack in that way a little bit more often. Right now, his confidence was shooting jump shots, and so he settled too often last year. There's no doubt about it. Now, from a coaching perspective, I'm interested to see how the staff handles it because their solution has seemingly been to give guys confidence, give them the green light consistently, tell them, they're all, you know, go ahead and shoot it if, if you're, you're confident, you're open, and then afterwards try to teach them Here's what's a good shot. Here's what's a good decision. Do what the game tells you to do. They don't really seem to take the approach of you can't shoot that shot or you need to shoot those shots less. I'm interested to see if they get a little more strict in that regard, specifically with Zach of like, hey, we love your your stretchability, but you got to be a little bit more physical and more of an inside presence. I I think you will see them at least influence them in that way a little bit more this year. And one other guy to talk about, Colby Jones. Colby showed an incredible ability last year on the court. His maturity level was high. His decision-making was was good. He attacked the basket. He could shoot. I think that he was a pleasant surprise to Xavier, especially with how well he performed over the course of the year. And it wasn't like he just played well in spurts. He, he was consistent when they really needed it. And do you think that that's, you know, when you look at a guy like Colby Rick and and you feel like, you know, at least in my mind, you feel like he's got some some NBA potential. I, I think that's something that's been thrown out there a little bit. But, you know, I don't know if he's the best NBA prospect on this roster. He might be, but he's somebody that he that definitely has a lot of upside and he's already shown a lot, kind of like what we were just talking about with Zach. So where do you see him progressing to next year? Yeah, I actually think he is the best NBA prospect on this roster. I think you're right. And and I think out of all the guys, he's the one I expect the biggest jump from this season. I think he's going to have that star level jump. Now, Dwan Odom's capable of it too. I'm a little bit more concerned about Dwan's role, but when I look at this team, I don't see a way in which Colby Jones doesn't start and play a lot of the minutes. He's too versatile, too talented in too many different ways. And if that shot continues to develop, it's already more impressive than I expected it to be. But if that shot continues to develop and gets respectable, I've brought it up multiple times. I don't like player comparisons, but he reminds me a lot of Josh Hart. He did in high school. It, it, you know, granted, they favor each other a little bit in how they look, but more so the winning plays, the versatility, the playmaking ability. If he can develop that three-point shot in the same way Josh Hart did while he's at Villanova, I agree. I think he really has some NBA upside, and I think he could be an absolute star first-team all-conference player for Xavier. I mean, he's already kind of on that track, but yeah, if he really develops a consistent jumper, it's, it's kind of a lock. For that, So I, to me, he's the guy that I'd be most excited about as a Xavier fan going into this year and the guy to be expecting the biggest jump from. For those listening, you all will hear more about Ben Stanley and his progression when we talk to, to Coach Steele. But uh, one last name that we, we shouldn't forget to talk about is, is Adam Kunkel. Do you, how, how do you see his role here, Rick, with, with this team? That's another interesting one. He's a guy that, like, in theory, he transferred from Belmont as a pretty highly sought-after transfer and a guy who had put up big numbers and can really shoot. You would think he'd be expecting to start this year coming back. But, again, with Paul and Nate both coming back, and I can't find a way to take Colby Jones out of the starting lineup, I think Adam probably comes off the bench. But then you start thinking about it. Think about this 
So you got your first team if you go with what I said before, which Paul, Nate, Colby, Zach, and Jack. But then look at your second five that you could potentially throw out there as a legitimate lineup. Dwan, Kunkel, Kiki Tandy in there somewhere at one of those guard spots, Jerome Hunter, and Deontay Miles. Like All of a sudden, you've got another five that could probably compete at the high major level (laughs) right there as your second five. And I think about practices. Those two teams going at it, you're going to have some nice battles in there and some good wars. And, and that's not even counting Ben Stanley and the two freshmen, Elijah Tucker and Cesar Edwards. So, yeah, I mean, the depth, especially in the front court, we'll see how those rotations play out because I really have no good answer. I and mean, we have no idea what to expect out of Deontay Miles at this point. We can talk yeah. about him, but I have nothing to tell you. I like We didn't get to go to practices all last year because of the pandemic. We heard what Steele said about him, but he's shown us nothing except the flashes of athleticism, coordination, upside, it's just hard to predict where he's going to be at this year. And there's so many bodies down there in the front court. We're just going to have to let it play out. I'm confident that Zach Nungy and Zach, Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle will be the favorites to start, but how the rest of those minutes play out, I think it's totally up for grabs. So is that your pitch to get the second team to play NKU this year? Because it's, it's, it sounded like it. Hey, buddy, I ain't worried about Xavier this year. I'm worried about Cincinnati honoring the trip back to NKU. Well, I thought mid-major teams didn't want to play high-major teams this year. <laughs> well, I look, I think we're both <laughs> mid-majors at this point, so it works well. <laughs> Did you buy into that at all? No. I, it's a, no, it's the most ridiculous thing I heard. I actually called a coaching friend immediately and uh, said, hey, did you see Rothstein's tweet? And he said, what type of horse blank is that? And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's just like, it's the most absurd, ridiculous thing. There's not one mid-major coach that I can find that would tell me, yeah, we don't want to go play a high-major game because we don't want them to steal our players. It just seems off base in, in, a, in an age with the internet and everything where you can watch all these guys. You have synergy. You have all these outlets to be able to watch every play of all these players what's what's holding anybody back from transferring just because you you get one showcase game in person also do you like are we just completely ignoring the fact that more transfers go from high majors down to low and mid majors than vice versa like they can do the same thing they can watch your players that aren't playing enough for you and be like oh we're gonna pick him up in the transfer port like that that makes no sense at all it's completely bogus honest to god it sounded like the type of thing mick cronin would have said at uc when he was having trouble scheduling people and rothstein (laughs) is his buddy so i'm almost certain this came from mick cronin somehow somewhat even though he's at ucla now i'm still pretty sure that's what happened here down through the grapevine he was just hey man let's let's get this out there the people need it well maybe mick's about to schedule arkansas pine pine bluff and a couple other schools like he did at uc over at ucla he's like i don't know if they're going to be as okay with it i need to set the groundwork (laughs) here so get my buddy rothstein to put that out there but yeah final thoughts on on the roster here obviously i've said a lot of words about it where are you at do you agree with the starters do you see any rotation things you're kind of worried about or curious about no i i think you know I was there in person and and saw I think every all but one home game last year. Um, Rick, I don't know. Did you ever make it to a game last year? I think you elected I went, to cover I, them from home, right? Yeah, I think I only went to preseason stuff and I didn't go to any regular season games. Yeah, got it. Okay, yeah, it, it was just weird because you kind of got this feeling, and this is more you know you covered the roster, so I'm kind of giving it from my perspective and what I saw. It was, it was such a weird season last year to be able to extrapolate how these guys played into what they might be able to do next year because 
you know, with no crowd and it sounds ridiculous, but really without the crowd and, and everything that was going on last year and all those circumstances, looking at how some of these guys played and responded, you know, when there was a crowd there and when it kind of got to feel more normal, it was almost, it, it was almost like in the beginning of the season, it was just like an AAU kind of a, a Saturday morning second run kind of a scrimmage thing back in, you know, their high school days. And then all of a sudden as the season's going on, it opens up a little bit more. You're getting like a thousand fans in there and you're seeing the guys start to feel like it's getting back more to normal. And as the season went on, it was just like, you look at guys like Colby who, you know, hits that game winner, Adam Kunkel hits that buzzer beater. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, Rick. I, I think I agree with you on, on pretty much everything with that. I think the biggest thing for me is, is seeing how much, of an adjustment Zach Fremantle makes going from last season to this season. And, and does, is he able to consistently finish there around the rim? Like I was asking you, because I think that's something that totally changes the way Xavier could handle themselves offensively. If he's consistent around the rim to be able to finish a lot of those, those shots, then that could open up things outside. If they have to double him down in the post more, um, you know, does Adam Kunkel come back? And, and start hitting shots at a higher rate because, you know, even he, I don't think Kunkel hit shots at the rate that most people were expecting him to. So does he start to, to fill it up a little bit more next season? So as far as like a starting five go is, is Ben Stanley able to, to go at the beginning of the year? I, maybe there's optimism that he is. It's Travis Steele certainly sounded like there was a lot of optimism, but, but that, that'd have- be a real quick, you have to think they're concerned about that though, right? Just being yeah. on the fact that they brought in Jerome Hunter, they brought in Jack Nungie, like they not they didn't lose any other bodies out of that front yeah. court really. So it's like, you'd have to think there's some concern about Ben Stanley's ability to recover for the start of the season and be the same player he was. Yeah, and I've seen some people say like, hey, you know, there's all these expectations. It was when Xavier lost to Butler, it, the fan base's reaction might as well just been to cancel the program, right? <laughs> And then two or three days later, you start getting all these guys to commit. Nate Johnson's coming back. There was a lot of optimism that Paul Scruggs wasn't, or there was, he was going to come back, even though it took him a little bit longer to actually commit to it. But all of a sudden it was like this 180 and Hey, we're going to go win the national championship next year. And and there's definitely a middle ground there. I, I think people's expectations are pretty realistic, but at the same time, like they've built this roster in a more than capable way to, I mean, I'll say it, Rick, this, this could be a, a second weekend team um, with the experience level that they have, but they got to be able to hit their shots to open up those, those, uh, those shooters, you know, Zach's got to be able to, to finish down low because if they start getting into those ruts and things like that, then the, the other teams, especially when they get into big East play, are going to be able to capitalize on all that stuff. So, and and that's something we saw as the season went on last year, they got into those lapses and they dug themselves into a hole. Look at like the Yukon game, you know, you dig yourself into a hole and then you can't climb back out of it. So I don't know if that's a hot take necessarily to say that they could be a second weekend team, but they certainly have the guys as they say on the roster to no doubt make the tournament. And then depending on a seed, you know, be a be a higher seed, wear a wear a home jersey in the first round, and then 
you know, then the chips fall as they may. On the topic of those expectations, though, one thing that that I will, I would say kind of tempers my expectations to a certain extent is I go back to last year, and one thing I saw a lot late in Big East play was Xavier didn't have the best player on the court a lot of times. Like yeah. That was a lot of the, They kept running into it. It's like, okay, yeah, Zach put up good numbers, but they didn't have the best player on the court in a lot of the game. Even going to like Georgetown, that Chudier Belay dude who got hot at the end of the year, put on an amazing <laughs> performance, and yeah. you didn't have the best guy in that game. So th- that's one thing I'm looking at. It's like Paul Scruggs has to be more consistent when things are down. He has to be more of a go-to guy. Or slash and Zach Fremantle, Colby Jones, got to take step forwards. They've got to become those types of guys where you do have the best player on the court more often this year. And that's one thing. It's like, yes, you have a lot of pieces, a lot of experience, and that means a lot. But if you still don't have the best player or the best two players in most Big East games, you're going to be in position to lose a lot still too. And that's one thing that still concerns me a little bit about this roster is a lot of guys who are good, but do you have stars? Do you have the star power that can carry you in a big time conference and in the tournament that all still remains to be seen to me. So I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I definitely think this is a tournament team, but I do think like some of the people that are now like elite eight final four run, that might be a little about a, a little yeah, bit yeah. there with this group, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like they, this is a team that no doubt needs to make the tournament barring any kind of an injury or anything like that, of course, but the way that this, roster is constructed and with all of these guys on the roster you know and it's like I said there's some concern that it was like okay it's the same roster really now you add a, a couple of new guys into the into the puzzle now with Nunji and and Jerome Hunter and and you know who knows how much Tucker and Edwards play as as the freshman coming in if one of them has to redshirt be that as it may but you know this is a team that regardless of how they perform in the tournament has to be there so how they respond to that pressure and, and how they perform off of that, they have the experience. And now I guess it's just kind of how it all plays out over the course of the year and what adjustments they make in the offseason to be able to do it. But one more thing here before we get into our interview with Travis Steele, Rick, the TBT, the basketball tournament, it's going to be played again this year. And Xavier, it looks like for the first time, is going to have an alumni team in the tournament. Now, here's my first question, and, and I've been trying to lock down an answer to this, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. Are they guaranteed a spot? Are they for sure going to have a team in here, or is it, or, or are there still hoops that they have to jump through before they're officially a part of the field? I think, from what I understand, they got a buy uh, or a free pass or whatever. There is like the process for a lot of teams, like you're saying, where you, you have to earn yeah. a certain amount of money or maybe play your way into stuff. I believe this Xavier team is being like, because of the the commitments they had from certain players and the fact that it was like a Xavier alumni team that they are being in like put into the tournament right away. Okay. I could be wrong. That- we probably need to get Rick Carter and or uh, cap on here to, sort through all this for us and give us the details. But that is my understanding. But we do at least know what appears to be most of the roster. I don't know if they have any more additions coming, but we know at least eight guys at this point. Yeah, we might need to have a few beers before we get Cap on here to... uh... (laughs) Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Cap will will come on this show for sure. And uh, we might have to get the the beep ready, the beep button ready or the top call. So 
the roster so far to this point for zip them up for the the TBT. You have Rick Carter and D Davis and and D to my understanding is the GM. I I don't I don't understand he's going to play. I do not think he's playing. I think there was some talk of like if they didn't have enough guard depth or something and needed him to play that okay. he could he could do it, but I don't think he plans on playing from what I understand. So JP Makira, Kaiser Gates, Mark Lyons, Karim Canner, Jeff Robinson, Trayvon Blewett, uh, Sean O'Mara, and then Sterling Gibbs, who was not a Xavier grad. He's been all over. He played at UConn, played at, I think, Texas A&M, played at uh, Seton Hall. So he was all over the place with high major talent. And you get three, for an alumni team, you get three non-alumni as part of your roster. So he counts as one of those. I do know that. Um, So Gibbs is part of that. Um, They can add two more guys there, but you know, I don't know. I don't know enough about the TV. I watch it every year and I think it's fantastic. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's exciting, but you know, I don't follow it as closely enough to know if this is going to be the most talented team, but it sure. Well, will probably be the toughest team and one of the, if not the most talented teams in this tournament, right? Yeah, I, I, like you said, I mean, we're not going to be able to break down the matchups of TBT. Like, I yeah. don't know what other teams have, and I don't know how I would uh, know how good those players are at this point. But it does seem like it is a – it's not a bunch of walk-ons like some of the other alumni teams have had where it's like walk-ons that still play pickleball. Like, we're talking about yeah. pros, whether in the G League or on two-way contracts or overseas. Most of these guys are still playing to a certain extent. I think Jeff Robinson is really the only one – that isn't playing like legit professional basketball. He's been doing some like semi-pro stuff locally. Um, and, and Jeff is just like a timeless wonder. He's 6'11", long and athletic to this day. Like there's no way that can't help you off the bench. Well, so you were talking, we were talking before we came on the air about the generational gap between how you uh, were, you know, with Dan and Snow, and then you bring me on and I try to, you know, liven this up a little bit and, and keep it young. And so here's a little nugget for that. Jeff Robinson was at Xavier when I was part of Xavier kids camp back in like whenever that was. So if that makes you feel old, it does. Jeff was there. Jeff was there as a Jeff was there as a player when I was in, I don't know, probably would have been seventh or eighth grade when, uh, when he was there as part of that camp. And that was with Redford too, I think was on that team Yeah, and all of them. So, so, uh, yeah, that was, that's, that's my age. So I'm 24 now. So that's, that's where we are. My, my career basically covering Xavier started with Jeff Robinson's career at Xavier. So yeah, that is a good reference point for me to pull up as Jeff Robinson <laughs> to make me feel old for certain. Um, I loved, I've, I've, I've followed him since I love Jeff. I, I think he, I think he, he'll probably bring a, a different dynamic to this team too. with some height in the post, but, uh, anything initially, I, I know we want to get into some quick starting lineups here, but, but uh, anything jump out to you as far as this team goes? No, I mean, I, I know Rick Carter's really confident in the group that he has, and he, he feels like they can win it all. And I think when you get a guy like JP and Trayvon and Kaiser all together, they're still <laughs> so new. They're still, they're all really good shooters. Um, you've got you've got a, a pretty good chance there with your wings. I think wings are the guys who win this. You don't really play through the bigs in this type of yeah. tournament. 
um, good guard play, but really those bigger, longer athletic wings are the guys who seem to, to take over in this setting. So yeah, I think, and, and Kaiser Gates, I think is really well equipped to play in this style because he's been in the, the G league now for a couple of years and he's really done well in it, but he's, he's a different player than he was at Xavier where he was more of a pick and pop guy, spot up shooter. He's now more of a, like get in transition and, and, and drive by and dunk on guys in addition to his shooting. So I think that'll play pretty well in the, the TBT format. And I love that they got, I mean, considering it's zip them up, that they go out there and get Mark Lyons. I don't know about two. I don't know what his status is, if there's even conversation about that. But even just to have Mark Lyons in there was a must. Well, I would assume if you're if you got Mark Lyons and you announced that commitment already, you're not getting two. Because I would assume if yeah. you're doing the zip them up team, those guys get announced together if you're getting them. Knowing yeah. two a little bit, I'd imagine that's a tough commitment to lock down. So I would imagine he's not going to be doing it, but you're right. Mark Lyons, one of the most enigmatic uh, Xavier players in history. <laughs> I personally love the guy. He was always great to me. I thought he was very funny and very charismatic, but he was also uh, a little bit crazy at times and certainly had his, uh, his blowups and practices and with different guys and stuff like that, but a fun player to watch. And uh, again, another guy who really fits this format well, cause he's, Tough to stop in transition. He can give you some shooting off the dribble, uh, make some plays, and, and he's super athletic. So I was asking the question of maybe they go out and get a guy like James Farr, Jalen Reynolds, maybe down in the post. But as far as this roster is constructed right now, even if they don't get a guy like Jalen or James, this this team has a chance for sure. Jalen's the guy they got to get, right? I mean, Jay, yeah. th this is essentially a better Devereaux's league, and Jalen is – the goat of Devereaux. Like he is the best summer league player of all time. He plays like he's on the and one mixtape tour. He does spin moves <laughs> between the leg, full court, coast to coast dunks. Like that's what we need in the TBT. So they got to lock down Jalen. I don't know if they're adding any more guys, but that would be my one addition that I need to see in this tournament. But let, let's go ahead. Give me your starting five. Who would you start if you're doing this? Uh, so JP Trayvon uh, would start. I'm going to I'm going to go out there and start Sean O'Mara um just as a little size down low. I don't know if you would agree with that and maybe that's just that's just me um now okay so here's the one thing to me about Sean O'Mara. Rick Sean O'Mara makes his free throws. Oh. And if there is one thing Xavier fans would love to see, it is free throw shooting. And I remember I remember when I was at Xavier and I was talking to somebody a student it was probably my it was Sean's senior year and somebody came up to me and they were didn't really follow the basketball program that closely but they were at a game and they were talking to me about Sean and he got fouled and he went to the line and they rolled their head back and they were like oh my god Sean O'Mara is going to the line he never makes his free throws and I said whoa 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 whoa, whoa. if there is one thing that Sean O'Mara does do it is that man never misses a free throw ever and so I'm going to start Sean O'Mara even more so than the free throws, I think uh, I think his side. Go ahead. Well, I'll just say it's your first podcast, so I, I see what you're doing here. You're clearly trying to win over the Xavier fan base and be like, That's "Look, exactly free throws I'm are very I'm important pandering. to me. I'm the free <laughs> I'm throw pandering. guy on this pod." Yeah, yeah, you're totally trying to win over fans. But I will say you are right. He shot 80.3 percent his last year at Xavier from the free throw line. Pretty damn good for a big man. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll I'll start Sean. Um, I'll start Sean with JP. Trayvon, uh, Mark, and Karam, and then I'll bring Sterling and Jeff off the bench. Yeah, that's very similar. I'm going Mark Lyons, JP, Trayvon, 
Kaiser and Karam would be my five. I I think. Oh, did I? Li- oh, shoot! I left Kaiser off. Ooh, I might have. Uh, all right, I'll slide. <laughs> I no, I I I I forgot Kaiser. Uh, who did I? I said JP, Trayvon, Sean, Karam, and Mark. Yeah, you probably got to uh, take maybe, one of your bigs out, right? Maybe maybe Sean has to. <laughs> Maybe Kaiser has to start over Sean. Kaiser's a pretty good free throw shooter too. So you know, yeah, Kaiser, Kaiser's got a slot. Points. Kaiser's Kaiser's got a slot in there. Yeah, yeah you're right. A little more you're athleticism right. and defense there. But I mean, uh, Carroll has had is that, a nice is that, career. Is that well. weak, Rick? Do I need to stand by my take? Is that weak? No, I think you made the right call there, backtracking on not having Kaiser in your starting lineup because Kaiser's know, is gonna that, start. No, I, I was gonna say I, I just I don't want it to seem like I'm coming off weak that I'm backtracking off a take. So hey. if I have to stick with Sean, I will. But I, Look, we I all did make our choices. We make, we make our choices. It's the first podcast. You tried to get brownie points by getting free throw shooting. <laughs> Screwed up your starting lineups, and now you have to look like you're weak with uh, backtrack on your takes. That's that's how it goes, man. We all make right, our own decisions. All right, I'll back. You also track. are a, a hard back J on the gif gif conversation. So. You're a GIF. I guy. am. Yeah, yeah I know. We I'm make gonna, our decisions. I am a GIF guy, so that's that's where we stand. Um, Rick, anything else here? And uh, anything else? Any other nuggets? Anything? Anything to look at? No, I think uh, let's go ahead and roll into our interview with Coach Steele. Joined now by head coach Travis Steele. And Travis, let's just jump right into the roster. And I think the first thing that is on everybody's mind is Rick and I were just talking about is. Jerome Hunter and a guy that now is a part of the Xavier family. And he's somebody that I think caught a lot of fans off guard. The recruitment just sort of came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're going out there and you're, you're tweeting the GIF, all the fans are fired up. And all of a sudden there's a new uh, high major addition to this roster. What do you like out of Jerome and what do you think he's going to bring to this team? You know, Paul, like we recruited him really hard out of high school. Um, back back a while ago so I've we know Jerome pretty well uh, knew his high school coach AAU coach his mom you know, know him really well so the familiarity there's great familiarity between us and Jerome and um and that's big in the transfer market I think you got to kind of know what you're getting because the transfer market works so quickly right it's at such a high it's like a warp speed um you need to know what the heck you're getting and, and I know what we're getting with Jerome um I think Jerome's six foot eight he's versatile um, he can shoot the ball well. Uh, he can defend. He's tough. Plays really hard. You know, his, he's went through a lot of adversity as well, Paul. Like throughout his co- college career, you know, his freshman year, he wasn't healthy enough to play, and uh, didn't know if he was ever going to be able to play again. He bounced back through that adversity, and, and honestly, never missed a uh, practice. According to Archie Miller, uh, didn't miss any games due to injury or anything like that. Um, so he's he's healthy. Um, he's hungry. Um, and I think he's just going to add a lot of versatility to our team. Travis, I went back and watched his redshirt freshman year clips on Synergy, and then I watched last year's clips. And to me, there was a clear difference physically between the two players. It looked like he made a major jump um, in terms of just his overall health and his athleticism coming back a little bit. Do you think there's more left? Do you think he's still getting healthier? I do. You know, I think like, you know, he didn't really have an offseason last year either due to COVID. You know, Archie Miller told me, um, you know, he felt like if he, if he could have a really good offseason this year with their strength and conditioning coach, he thought he'd take another big jump uh, forward. And uh, so I do think he's take, he's really progressed over the last year, um, year and a half uh, with his health and his athleticism. I think you'll see that probably jump up even more. 
when you look at a guy like Jerome and then you also go and get Jack Nunji and a couple of guys who have had, like you said, some injury issues, do you feel like that's anything you guys are really overly concerned about or were those just fluke things or, or, or how did you approach that when you were recruiting them? Yeah, I think with Jerome, you know, not, not really worried about it at all just because he hasn't missed any games or practices over the last couple of years. You know, I, so he's recovered really, really well, right? Um, you know, Jack obviously got injured towards the end of the year last year and was injured two years pr- prior to that as well. So, you know, I think we just have to manage Jack right. We got to get him at the right weight. Um, we got to make sure that he rehabs correct the right way. We got to watch his load management. I hate that word, but, you know, everybody uses it, it seems like in sports now. Uh, we got to watch his load management, I guess. Um, but I think Jack will, you know, he's another guy, obviously, who's done it at the high major level uh, on a really good team at Iowa. And I, if you look at his analytical numbers, Paul, his analytical numbers are off the charts. When I say off the charts, like top five transfer type of good in, in the country uh, when you look at his numbers. And um, he's a really good player. He's skilled. He's big. I felt like we needed to get more physical around the rim with our size in the Big East. Um, and we've accomplished that with both, you know, Jerome, who's six foot eight, 220, and Jack, who's almost 6'11", 240 pounds. I think both those guys will really help us in that regard. While we're on the topics of injuries, can you give us an update on Ben Stanley, where he's at in the process? Yeah, you know, we, um, you know, Dave uh, Fluker, our, our athletic trainer, does a great job for us. You know, he thinks he's ahead of schedule. Rick, like we almost have to pull him back a little bit. You know, Ben uh, works really hard um, with his rehab. He's a really strong kid naturally. So his recovery has been, been really good so far. Now, obviously, we're, we're not going to rush anything with Ben, right? Like we want to make sure he is – at full strength before he's out there doing playing and, and whatnot competing. Uh, so we're going to be patient with it, um, but he's definitely progressing in the right direction. Coach, when you look at the rest of this roster, who's somebody that so far in the first couple of weeks of this, or excuse me, a couple months of this off season, who's somebody that you think's jumped out at you that's, that started to make a jump? You know, I would say a couple guys, uh, Paul, I think, uh, I think Deontay Miles has had a great spring in early summer here. Um, body looks better. Um, his work habits have been incredible. Uh, I think the lights kind of turned on for him. I felt like it had turned on midway through the year, uh, during the season. Then he got injured again. Um, but we got to continue to put that body, that armor on him to help him, you know, prevent those injuries. Right. He's got to continue to put on weight, but he's had a really good summer. Uh, Odom, I thought had a really, really, really good summer in spring. We've changed his jump shot. Um, you know, he, he, uh, Dewan's a terrific player in all areas other than shooting. Right. And, and, uh, you know, so we've changed his shot kind of holistically, uh, from his feet, legs, hand placement, uh, release the whole deal, which is a, usually in an off season, you try to change one thing with a guy like, right. Like with Trayvon blew it back in the day, you know, we moved his shot from his left side of his face to his right side, uh, between his freshman and sophomore years. And that's, and that's pretty manageable. But with Dewan, you know, I felt like, um, you know, we're, we're doing him a disservice if we don't change it. Um, now, he's had those habits for 18 years of his life, right, which are hard to break. I mean, they are hard. Uh, so it's an everyday process with him. But he works really hard at it. He wants to get good at it. He knows he has to get better at it for him to ultimately reach his, his goals, individual goals, and, and for our team to reach our team goals. Um, but uh, I think both those guys have had a uh, had a tremendous offseason so far. You don't have to go too far down the road, but I'm just curious real quick. How do you do that? How do you first approach 
completely going doing a 180 on a shot like DeWan's that you know needed the work to be able to get to that point as a high major shooter but is it just one step at a time one day at a time or, or what are you guys doing as a coaching staff yeah you know I think first you got Paul you got to get buy-in from the player um because it's a frustrating process as a player because like I said those habits are so deeply ingrained right I mean they just are um and it can be frustrating and, and so you got to get that buy-in. I think that's incredibly important and show them, almost give them an example of what you want the shot to look like. So like for him, we're trying to use Kawhi Leonard. Like he's not, the wand's never going to be the natural shooter that like a Steph Curry or a Clay Thompson is right. Um, but Kawhi is very robotic with his shot. Um, and he's limited the movement within his shot. Right. And he became better at it. He wasn't always a natural shooter. So we try to use kind of use his blueprint of his shot, his form for Dewan, right? And you show him kind of what where Dewan was and where we want to get to, and then it's kind of bit by piece, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's uh it's like lifting the, lifting the hood to uh, to your car, man. There's a lot of different parts to it, right? And and uh, you, again, you want to kind of focus on one area, then kind of work to the next, and you may have to go back though and tinker with it a little bit more. Um, it's an ongoing process, but you know what? He works really hard. He's really coachable. He's open to it, um, which is the biggest thing. Travis, going back to this offseason, I imagine it got off to a pretty great start when you heard you were getting Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson back for those super senior years. How important is that from a chemistry perspective from your team? And also, what's it say about the locker room and the buy-in you have from these guys when – you got to let's face it in this day and age, a lot of guys that hit 22, 23 years old, they want to get out and do something else other than come back to school. These guys want to stay in college and play one more year in your program. Uh, you got to feel pretty good about that, that chemistry and that buy-in I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, obviously thrilled to have both those guys back. They're both tremendous players, great ambassadors for our program. Um, you know, Paul, You've been here for four years, man, and, and like for, he wants to go out on the right note, right? He wants to go out uh, on his terms, and and he didn't like how our season ended. It was an odd season last year with all the shutdowns and whatnot, and just it was hard to get any rhythm and flow and practice, to be honest with you. And I think you hit the nail on the head, though, Rick. I think it's like, man, number one, from a leadership standpoint, when you get guys like Nate and Paul back, oh, my God, I mean, it's huge, right? And and just from a chemistry standpoint and just like also like they know our system, man, like Nate was new last year. Shoot, he didn't even do anything in the summer. He did nothing. Um, you know, so he really didn't jump into really until the fall. And so he kind of got a late start. Um, and then obviously got shut down, you know, midway through the Big East season. And uh, like I said, man, it just shows you that those guys are hungry, that they, they that, that, you know, they love Xavier. They love our program. They want to go out the right way. So we need their leadership and we need that chemistry, obviously, to be a really good team. But having those guys both back in the Xavier uniform is going to give us a chance. On that same front, it has created a unique situation for you. Um, you you've been a guy that said multiple times you don't prefer to have 13 guys on scholarship yeah. on your roster. It's easy to manage, easier to manage 10, 11 guys and, and get everyone some playing time. How, how much of a challenge is that going to be this year to figure out rotations when you have not just 13 players, but 13 players that all have a talent level that you expect them to contribute in your program at some point? 
Yeah, I think we got to try to figure out how to play fast, Rick. I think we got to get more possessions in the game. I think that's where it starts, you know, um, on, on both ends, right? I think we got to be a little bit more aggressive defensively. Not saying that we're going to become press Virginia or havoc uh, back in the day at VCU, uh, but I think we got to figure out how ways to create more possessions in a game. And then I'd say, secondly, you know, for us, it's going to create great competition in practice. You know, it is, man. And I last year was hard to find any rotations because we had a different lineup for every game. It was bizarre when we'd have one guy in, one guy out, and the next game would be. It was just, it was really, really hard to get any continuity. Um, you know, roles can change throughout the season. There's no question about that, but it would be nice to get kind of a set rotation early and develop that as you kind of move forward. Right. And whether that's us playing nine guys, uh, 10 guys, I think it's hard to play 10. I think you can play nine. I think that's reasonable, um, but it's going to create great competition within our practices. I know that. You mentioned changing the defensive effort a little bit, maybe how you guys are going to attack on the offensive end too. What are, what are some of the holistic changes that you feel like fans are going to notice uh, out of next year's team where like Rick mentions you, everybody knows there's going to be so much. Ex- I mean, one of the most experienced teams in the country we saw that graphic. I, I forget. I think it was Fox college sports, put it out. Butler was yep. the most experienced returning team. Then there was somebody else. And I think Xavier was third. So you have all of these minutes coming back. Plus, you get these two high major transfers who maybe will be new to the system, but still have that high major experience. So what, what are some of the, the style changes to the 21-22 Xavier team that fans will notice right away? Yeah, I think a couple things. I would say, like, start on the defensive end. Um, you know, we got to get our system better. Our system will stay – like, the, the base system will stay the same. Right? Our pack line – we're going to be a pack line defensive team. Um, I think that uh, we got to get better. Like we, we missed so much practice last year. We had so many new guys last year that it became really hard to develop any habits within our system. I mean, it was damn, honestly, dang near impossible. Um, you know, so we got to get better at our base. But I think it's hard to just play 40 minutes of pack line. I think you got to have these other spinoffs, right? Like other ways to create aggressiveness, um, create turnovers so we can create some of our offense off of our defense, whether that's, when the ball, like I call it special situations, right? Like whether the ball's underneath out of bounds for them, for the opponent. Now how we're going to try to create turnovers in that, in that regard, whether it's side out of bounds, um, whether it's full court after a free throw, we need to put pressure on. We have, we have to pressure, in my opinion, pick up full court, maybe trap a little bit. I call those special situations. So because it's, it's a little bit different than, uh, um, you know, we're not going to press on every made field goal. Right. And we're not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not giving up layups at the expense of our and screwing up our transition defense just to try, try to create more possessions in the game. Um, I think on dead ball situations, though, we want to make it really tough. Um, entry passes. I think like entries, whether it's to the wing or to the elbow, um, we got to have a little bit. We got to make that entry pass tough. And then you get back into your pack line. Right. I think that'll help kind of force create a little bit more ball pressure, create some more turnovers as well. Um, so we can create some of our offense off our defense so we can get some easy baskets. Then on the offensive end, I think we got to put more pressure on the rim. And I think, you know, last year I look at our team, you know, like we didn't really, you know, Zach, we got to get him stronger this offseason. He's got to get up to 230 pounds. And so he can be a low post threat, a consistent one down there, um, which he can be. I mean, he's skilled enough. Obviously, we're still going to move Zach around all around the floor, you know, pop it on the floor and stuff like that. Um, but we got to get hit. We got to put more pressure on the rim. 
you know, via the drive, whether it's a post up, whether it's a roll to the rim, we got to put more pressure on the rim, which I think will then create more open shots for us. And we'll get to the foul line more. Travis, just uh, looking at your staff, there's some changes as well. Obviously, Ben Johnson and Matthew Graves both got new jobs. Ben Johnson takes over as the head coach at Minnesota. Matthew Graves, the associate head coach at Indiana State. First of all, I imagine you're happy for those guys, and it's a pretty big deal when one of your assistants go and get a high major head head coaching job in the Big Ten. How cool was that? And then also, can you talk a little bit about replacing those guys as well? Yeah, you know, like you said, Rick, thrilled for those guys. I mean, uh, number one, they're tremendous men. Um, they do things the right way. But they're obviously also tremendous coaches. Um, you know, so losing Ben, um, you know, to Minnesota back to his alma mater. Um, the only thing that made me mad about that whole situation was I was in Florida when it happened, and I was supposed to be on the freaking beach for two days, and I was on the phone the entire day. <laughs> Never got to really go. So. I, I told Johns, I told the AD of Minnesota, I said, can you guys just wait a day to delay this announcement? You know, you know, give me a day where I can actually get away. Um, <laughs> but, you know, replacing him, you know, Ben, ben did everything well. You know, I don't know if he necessarily did anything great, but he did everything well. And, uh, you know, so for us, man, I really wanted to find somebody that complimented Jonas and, and complimented Dante. Um, and, and, you know, went through the process, you know, you have a million different applicants and you have a million different people hitting you and, 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 when you hire an assistant coach, man, you know, all these people, right. And, you know, I, I wanted to hire a guy that was a really good coach that was hungry, that had a high, high work capacity that could almost be a pace setter for our, for our staff in a lot of ways. And, and I've known Danny Peters since he was a freshman in college. I was a GA at Ohio state at the time was really, really close to his father, uh, Dan Peters as well, who was a longtime assistant at Ohio state at Cincinnati uh, under Huggins. Um, and, you know, Danny's worked with Sean Miller for off and on for basically seven of the last 10 years, you know, so he's going to know our system really, really well, our terminology, how we do things um, here at Xavier. Um, and he's from here. You know, he, he, he went to high school here in Cincinnati. Um, so I, I'm really excited to what he can bring to our staff. And, and I think a lot goes, like I said, he's a tremendous coach, but he's also a relentless recruiter. Um, you know, he's a guy that's going to work it, and which is obviously that's the bloodline to our program is the uh, is the recruiting piece. So does he have um, certain areas that he'll recruit? You know what? He will. Like he's done mainly Midwest. Like he even recruited like the kid Zeke Naji all the way out to Arizona uh, from Minnesota. Um, he's going to be mainly Midwest, a little bit West Coast because he's got, he's done a really good job kind of um, being able to gain some great relationships out there. Um, but, you know, Danny, I think you're, he's the type of guy, quite honestly, you can plug him anywhere, Rick. And he's going to crush it because he's going to work it. He's going to work the phones. He's going to work relationships. Um, that's what he does. So um, really excited what he's going to bring to the table for our team. And then obviously Coach Graves going to Indiana State, man, back home for him. Chance to be an associate head coach, um, you know, for him. man, he uh, he did a great job for us. Uh, you know, I, I we're going to replace him here soon. I think shortly, probably within the next week to week and a half. Um, you know, and you try to figure out, as you put the staff together, you know, all the strengths and weaknesses of guys. And it's like putting a puzzle together. Right. And um, I want to hire a guy that kind of, you know, compliments all the guys we have, Trey Scotty, you know, Dante Jonas and, and, and Danny. Um, and, and I think we're going to get a really good one. So I know this, I'm down to two guys for that position and, and both guys are tremendous. And obviously coach Jennings, 
got kind of a promotion within our, within our athletic department as well. And I don't even know if it's out there who we've hired yet. I don't even know if it's public. It may not be. Uh, I don't really haven't been on social media a whole lot, but, um, but we have hired a guy um, for our strength and conditioning coach. Um, I think it's going to be a guy. Again, he, he's, he's very, 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 very good. And, you know, I wanted a guy that could be scientific yet at the same time, provide a lot of toughness for our guys. Um, and, uh, and I want a young, young guy, high energy guy. We got, we got a really good one. So again, I don't think it's out there yet. So are you telling us like, we can't have the name or what you're telling us, you know, but like, we can't, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess I, I listen, when's this thing go out, Rick? It'll go out tomorrow. All right. Well, I'll give it to you. Who cares? Chase okay. Campbell. He, he was a strength coach for the Orlando magic. Um, wow. Uh, he's a young guy he's from Indiana, man. He's, I, I think he's going to be, he's really, 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 really good. So we're very fortunate to, to get him. Um, and I know our guys are really looking forward to working with him this summer. Look at us, Rick, breaking some Break, news, on the, breaking news on the first podcast. We you would get headlines. it out of him. Boom. <laughs> if snow was on here, I wouldn't have, I would not have, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have done that, Rick. <laughs> well, well, you know, that does bring up another good question uh, regarding recruiting. How concerned are you about having to recruit against Brian Snow? Very, very. <laughs> I can tell. Snow. <laughs> I can tell. Hey, hey, Travis, one more question before we let you go here. I appreciate all your time. We mentioned how much you have coming back and uh, the knowns of this team. It's more than you've ever had since you've been here. The, the expectations are high. How much of a sense of an ur- urgency do you and your staff feel? I mean, I know the players are hungry, but how much you haven't been to the tournament yet. Do you feel a sense of urgency or some pressure on, on your end to get that done? I mean, there's always urgency, Rick. I mean, that's our goal every year, you know, is to make the NCAA tournament. You know, I felt like it was kind of stolen from our group last year, to be honest with all the shutdowns. Um, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, there's great urgency, man. That's the goal of the program, right? That's a, that's our whole goal is to win a Big East championship, you know, compete in the NCAA tournament, get this thing to a Final Four. And and uh, I don't think there's any pressure, but like there is great urgency. I can tell you that with our staff and with our players. Um, you know, we want to uh, we want to represent Xavier Nation in the right way. Uh, coach, going off of that, my last question is, is just what, what are some of the things as a coaching staff? And, and you got you talked about it a little bit in the offensive and defensive end, but you guys personally, you know, as a coaching staff, some, you know, new names coming in there into the into the program and things like that. Um, what are some of the things as a staff that you guys feel you want to evolve with going into next season as far as on the court goes? Yeah, I mean, I think just to continue to solidify our system. You know, I think at the end of the day, you just want your guys to play really, really hard, play together, right? And then execute your system, both on both ends of the floor. And uh, I think uh, – I thought our guys competed last year. Our guys played hard. And I thought we – for the most part, we played together. I thought our rhythm got screwed up a few times there during the shutdowns. Uh, I thought we get the ball – you know, we started kind of jacking up shots rather than working the ball like we did previously. Um but that's kind of to be expected, quite honestly, with all the shutdowns we had. And same thing with the execution piece. It's like you want guys that are going to execute our defensive system. They know what to do, right? And now they got to be able to do it live. And the only way to do that is if you get your habits, right? Um, and at the end of the day, if you get those three things, if you guys play hard, you play together, and you execute on both ends of the floor, man, you, you, you let the chips lie where they lie. And, and I have a feeling that we're going to win a lot of stinking games if, if, we, if we're really good in all three of those areas. Hey, Travis, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining us on the relaunch 
of the uh, Musketeer Report <laughs> podcast. And uh, you don't have to deal with Brian Snow anymore. So I imagine we'll be able to get you on a little more often going forward. As much as you want, Ray. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. All right, Travis. guys. We'll see you guys. Thanks to Coach Travis Steele for joining us here. And thanks for listening to the first episode of the new rendition of the Musketeer Report podcast. For Rick Broering, I'm Paul Fritschner, and we'll see you next time, everybody.